0: Hello everyone and welcome to a special bonus Second Captain's podcast, Owen here. Now this is an episode we recorded as one of our daily shows on the World Service this week. The reason that we're able to produce independent journalism like this is because of the wonderful people who have signed up and supported us and in fact... It was those World Service members who suggested that this show in particular is one that should be shared more widely. We had an absolutely phenomenal reaction to the conversation that you're going to hear now with Sinead and Richie. A lot of people got in touch, suggesting that we open it up to everybody to really kickstart the conversation, which we agree is a very good idea, and that's what we're doing right now. If you like what you hear, please do pass this on to as many people as possible. If you really like what you hear and you want to support this kind of thing, and to listen to more podcasts like it, please join the growing World Service family. It's only a 5 or a month, and you can do it on secondcaptains.com. Here you go. And I said, I want to win the
2: league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in <sighs> team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
0: Hello there and welcome to Thursday Set Captain's podcast on the World Service. Hope you're all well. Owen here with Ken and Murph. Hi fellas. Hey there and Owen. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. We have had 24 hours now to digest the fallout from the not guilty verdicts in the Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding case. If you followed even a fraction of the reaction since news came in, you've probably heard at least one person say that we need to have a conversation in this country urgently about sex and how we can all get to grips with the many complications around that subject. And that's a conversation we're going to start today with Sinead O'Carroll, news editor of the journal.e, and Richie Sadler, who's very much ahead of the curve on this one. Richie, if you don't know, facilitates a module for transition year students in sexual health. He wrote a brilliant piece about this for the Irish Times late last year and explained that he covers things like intimacy, violence, boundaries, sexual orientation and consent. So exactly the kind of things that people feel we need to be talking about. More about. I'm looking forward to getting Richie to explain a little bit, in fact, quite a bit about that today. Regarding yesterday's news, you're pretty sure you're aware of the basics that Jackson and Olding were found not guilty of rape, and Jackson also found not guilty of sexual assault. Blaine McElroy acquitted on his charge of exposure. Rory Harrison also acquitted on charges of perverting the course of justice and withholding information. So all the defendants were acquitted on all charges, creating. A bit of a firestorm of public opinion around the verdicts. I think everyone was fairly transfixed by this yesterday. Again,
2: yeah, it was. Uh, I can't remember anything like it actually in Ireland. Um, I can't
0: in in terms of the volume, the amount of interest, or in particular the sort of toxicity of the reaction on, on either side—that's if that's the right way of phrasing it.
2: Um, the, the volume and the intensity. I mean, the intensity, maybe. Yeah. Obviously, the, the case was something which um, it had it, it had a kind of a dual like public and private elements in the sense that the, the case was kind of standing for something I think for a lot of people looking at it it was standing for something bigger than the case itself also in the dock with these four rugby players was a kind of a, an oppressive system you know a system of male uh, privilege, power, entitlement uh, and I think for a lot of people who saw it in those terms, the verdict was kind of the uh, the system just waving that through, saying this is okay, mm. and uh, and so you've got that uh, kind of the, the sense of injustice that a lot of people feel about that uh, being expressed in all of these um, you know tweets where people want to people want to put it out there that they you know I believe her. I think was the was the top you know. Hashtag in in people want to kind of say that, uh, and that then that the other side of things, which is the private side, which is that you know everybody has their own sexual lives, their own sexual history. Um, the country is full of victims and perpetrators of rapes and sexual assault. Most of the time, um, that's not known to other people. Uh, I mean, because most of mo- most of these types of crimes don't get reported. Uh, and, in many cases don't get spoken about you know even even privately mm. um and so you have people who have been sort of directly affected when you When you look at the sort of public reaction, you can see that that the vast that the majority of it, as far as I could see, was people who are angry with the verdict saying you know i I believe this woman. this is why women don't report or victims, I should say, although it is overwhelmingly women don't report um these situations, this the humiliation that that is involved in being dragged through this uh, process. Uh, that was, I think, most of the public reaction certainly that I saw. Although but there was also quite a lot of, you know, oh, you name know, name and
0: shame. Let's let's shame this liar. Yeah, this, this kind of stuff. You know, the
2: you know the verdict was not guilty. Therefore, it must have been a false accusation. She must mm-hmm. be lying. Uh, you know, and you could see this kind of anger then also coming out. Uh, you know, you know people don't want to look back in their own behavior and start to think of themselves as being you know as having done something wrong. And it's like thought that you might have to do that is, I think, very is, is quite threatening and sometimes feeds into this anger that comes out that people are expressing, or this, this like uh, you know, the, the anger towards the accuser in this case.
0: All right, if you're waiting for our Champions Cup preview this week, by the way, you have been very patient and we have got a big one on the way for you tomorrow featuring Shane Horgan and Barry Murphy. Uh, A lot to get stuck into there ahead of Munster and quarterfinals. Right now, Richie and Sinead O'Carroll have arrived. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for coming in. Owen, how are you doing? Uh, Pretty good. I was watching primetime last night, Sinead, and it struck me when Miriam McCallan started by saying this was one of the most high profile trials in the history of this island, I guess that was clear as it was ongoing, but it really hit home to me how big a deal this has been. Why do you think it has... Captured the public imagination in the way that it has
1: yeah, and I think every week um, that it continued, so we were talking about nine weeks, and this is completely anecdotal, but on the journal we show our readership figures to everybody, so you can see how many people are reading each article. if a story goes on for too long, you can usually see even if it 's a high interest at the start, you can usually see those numbers peter off that didn 't happen in this case with nine weeks of a, a kind of a repetitive trial by the end we weren 't hearing new things really it was it was kind of a repetition of what we had heard at the start and just people were so interested I think obviously there is an element of you know, Paddy Jackson was known, Stuart Olding was semi-known down here. He wouldn't have been, like, across the board, I I don't think, famous. Um, And the fact that there was salacious details in the text messages and the WhatsApp and that. But I think there was something more to it. I think people recognised some of the the behaviours in it, in the text messages and also in some of the information we were getting about what happened in the bedroom or what what did or didn't happen in the bedroom. And I think that's where the the public interest uh, remained. What
0: do you mean? mean by that that people recognize some of the behaviors
1: i think when we're talking we we don't talk about consent enough but when we do people often want to bat it away and say sure we all know how it works we all know how sex works we all we don't need to talk about it but in this case people were up in court trying to defend what they presumed was consent and that was the the phrase that patty jackson himself used that he presumed consent and i think when you're a human who has engaged in sexual activity before you recognize oh have have I always got consent have I always given consent and I think from men and women they were both recognizing some stuff in there and, and thinking about their own sexual past or their own sexual activity or, or their own behaviors and thoughts about it and I think that's the first time we've done that on a country-wide scale and I granted there is the famous rugby player element to it but I do think that came into play with the interest the public had in it
0: yeah and that is an element that is going to be uh, we're going to get into in this conversation but I want to ask you Richie about the professional dressing room and professional sports people because this is another part of a part of the whole fallout from this what sort of attitudes did you've been there do what sort of attitudes exist towards women and exist towards sex certainly when you played
3: well, I suppose I have to be careful how I answer this because I don't want uh, to make a sweeping statement, which which, which implies I know what the mindset of every single sports person is. Um, presumably we're talking about males only. Um, I think to understand the culture of a dressing room, there, there's a lot of things and move away from, from attitudes towards women and sexual behaviour at the moment. There, there, there's a sense of entitlement um sometimes there's very little accountability. There's this attitude or this culture that they've been in for a long time, that their sporting performance and their prowess is what matters. And then if there, there's a few rough edges elsewhere in the personality or their behaviour, someone else will will, will, will will cover their tracks and look after that. Um, one of the examples actually I had, maybe this is off the point slightly, when I was looking to get an agent. I remember in about 2002, one of the top agents brought me into their office and said, uh, give me this big PowerPoint presentation with seven or eight members of staff. They each had an area that they would look after my life. So everything from booking hotels to get me into nightclubs, to sponsorship deals, to contract negotiations. But the person who was involved in the media side of things, I really remember their pitch. It wasn't about behaving a certain way. We, we, we expect certain standards of you because you're a client of ours. It was whatever way you behave, if the media find out. We've relationships with the editors. We've other more high-profile players who we can, let's say a paper has a story on you, we'll negotiate with that paper to get the story out of the paper in exchange for a big profile interview with some bigger player. So you're kind of in this world where you think it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to get away with it and because be- I'm this really talented footballer, rugby player, whatever it is. And that feeds directly into sex, into I think attitudes there's, to women? I, I I think there is. I think it it all feeds in well, as that
1: well. Well, that has to feed into every aspect to, of your yeah. life. That's to. really illuminating yeah. to, to hear if that, you're that that's it, how... Yeah,
3: if you're running around with some kind of uh, feeling of invincibility is the wrong word, but where you're not going to be held accountable for certain things and the rules slightly differ to you, to everyone else, mm-hmm. Um, in the hands of certain people, that can, that can be. And that's not abused. saying everyone
1: will use it, that, exactly. that, that they'll think of it as a weapon in their arsenal, but the mm. fact that it's there for some people who mm. might likely mm. need it. And again, is to, to to
3: be a bit more specific on the question you asked about relations, yeah. attitudes towards women and, and, and sex. So, speaking off, off, off Mike there earlier to Murph, I remember my mates used to come over from Dublin and they used to be, they're jaw dropped at the behaviour what they saw as the normal behaviour in nightclubs and clubs of of women towards the lads on the team. That literally you would be out and you would be three of us standing here in a corner having a pint chatting. And at any point if you looked over your left or right shoulder, there would literally be groups of girls waiting to catch your eye or interrupt your conversation or deliberately nod into you on the way to the toilet or something. And the sole aim was immediately to have sex with you as quick as possible. And that, that was the culture and that was... And and that, over time, will certainly influence the minds of the people in the middle of that culture. Okay, so the sporting environment, is
0: is it more likely to produce these sort of attitudes, if you want to call them toxic attitudes, towards women? And if so, is that because of the environment that's created? Is that that because of what you talk about there, there, the sense of entitlement, what they see, what these footballers actually experience, as opposed to, sports people or footballers being in some way worse people than the rest of society.
3: Again, to be too waffly, I mean, we're all products in the environment we're in. We're all influenced by the behaviour of the people around us and and what we see on an ongoing basis. So there is a link between the the things that are norms in in that culture and the way people will think and behave over time. But I don't think, to answer your question, there's an inherent, like, badness or, or malice in sports people that don't exist, no. that isn't there in non-sports people. They're just confronted with different behaviours um, on a very, very regular basis. And I,
1: and I think it's the in- integration of a, a couple of things. I think you have to go back earlier and you have to go back like longer in society and earlier in people's lives, that the intertwining of, of power and sex and the fact that we give so much power. Um, and I think it's probably we know sports, so we're sitting around here as sports people um, and people who follow sport. I think... Uh, a music podcast could probably do the same Mm. thing with high-profile musicians Mm. you know when you when you intertwine power and bring sex into it that that's where everything gets a bit more muddled and that's why you might see behaviors of everybody men and women change around those circles
0: Mm. well this is where i guess the the group sex and boasting about it and all that kind of thing comes into it is that what that's about is that about power and dominance well i think
3: there's a lot of that in, in professional sport um that this idea, even on the sports field or even within the dressing room, you have to exert your authority or your dominance, maybe over teammates in the dressing room or certainly over opponents, um. And there's a status that comes with being a sports person in our society. We, you know, sports person comes into the room, everyone's going to look mm. at them. We want to talk to them, um. So again, that 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 feeds in then to attitudes then around around women as well. I um, see, and, yeah, and I think it's I'd
1: because we're coming from a point that we aren't good at talking about sex so when, no. so if you're a, if a famous sports person who's really really successful you, you have been successful probably since the time you're 8 years old mm-hmm. so you, you're 7, 8 you're starting to be idolised by your peers then by the time you're 12, 13 you're being idolised by adults you know like under 14 hurlers and footballers are a bit idolised and I don't know the rugby world as well but I presume it's, it's very much the same there especially in, in the schools situation and at that point you're not learning about sex so you're about to enter the world as an adult with power power and fame and money and people will want to have sex with you and in the dressing room it's seen as a good thing it's seen as you know you're the man mm-hmm. you're a more powerful man if you have more relations in this way and we don't have conversations they have not learned about consent they have not learned about um how to have sex they haven't learned what sex is even like the some of the text messages that were sent in this trial and the ones that now some people have called normal are you know they didn't go out to have sex with a girl they went out to roast a girl mm. so and and because we they have never learned any other way about sex so and i think that it's a double whammy when you're then going into a dressing room and you have all that culture around you
3: but it is, i think it's a wider cultural thing as well i mean this you touched on it there this in 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 the minds of many many people the status of a man is enhanced the more sex he has or the more sexual partners he has the exact opposite is the case for females the more sexual partners she's seen to have or the more um, she'll be the, the exact opposite. There are all sorts of names. We know, Like the man will be, you know, the yeah. legend or the player or he's a hero. The girl will be a slut or a slag or damaged goods. All these kind of, th- these these really loaded terms are immediately assumed on people based on, on their sexual behavior or attitude to sex along gender lines.
0: Has that changed at all? You have talked you talked yesterday, Sinead, about how hyper society mm-hmm. has become. But that basic dichotomy and how it's viewed for women to have sexual partners, a lot of sexual partners compared to men, is that still the same as we had in 1970, 1980?
1: I think so. I think one of the parts about the trial um, when the defence were defending the f- the four men, um, they made out that the woman wanted to have sex with uh, the, the three people in the room or, or the two people in the room. And th- I think that, that there is an acceptance of that, that the women do want sex at times. So I think there is an mm-hmm. acceptance, and particularly as you get younger. Um, but at the same time then, they turned around and said, she definitely wanted to have sex with these two men. But she was embarrassed if it got out. She didn't want other people to know about it. So I think that there is this still hypocrisy around women having sex. Yes, we want women to be allowed to say they want sex. Yes, we want women to have sex with us um, if it's coming from the other person's point of view. But we don't want them to talk about it or talk about their desires out loud, you know, on podcasts or on radio or just in the general Pub. Like, you know, even in conversations with my friends, I wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, tell them I was out last night and, you know... Mm had sex with whoever, I don't even have the words for it, you know, like Mm -hmm. these words come naturally, I guess, to you if you're talking in a WhatsApp group, if that's normal. Now, I hope it's not because I don't know if I'd be sitting here if I thought you guys were using words like that in any WhatsApp groups. But, you know, we don't have, I still don't have those words a lot of the time, um, you know, to sit around the pub and have it unless it's with my closest friend and I want to talk about it.
0: A couple of tweets that came out yesterday and the the whole uh, issue around the social media the commentary is something we'll get to but the leash footballer Gary Walsh tweeted where's your one's name from the Paddy Jackson trial it's her that should be destroyed in the papers now all you feminists come at me I'll throw the kitchen sink at you Luke Rossiter from Drotty United delighted for Paddy Jackson that tramp of a thing should be locked up now and for the girls that absolutely butchered him fuck yous too sluts hashtag justice for Paddy now it's interesting because when some of the stuff that comes at men particularly on Twitter I'm looking at thinking Jesus we're not we're not that bad mm. Then you read stuff like that and you kind of see where women get the idea that men think about women in that way.
1: Yeah, I think we get mixed messages. Um, Like on the one hand, we were if we say we were shocked by the messages that came out during this trial, we're told "Sure, that's just normal lad behavior. And you end up looking at the men in your life going, do you send messages like that? Like, I presume my brother doesn't. I presume he would leave a WhatsApp group if someone said anything like that, Uh, like I. I presume my boyfriend's friends don't talk like that, you know. But then on the other hand, men turn around and say, ah, sure, that's normal laddish behavior or dressing room talk or whatever. So we do get mixed messages and we can't get into your mindset. So, you know, you've got to help us out in some ways. And then the commentary like those text messages, the the misunderstanding that you can actually Believe her, and I think Stuart Olding's statement afterwards was really, really important yesterday. And fair play to him for for coming out because he could have been more, I guess, celebratory. And so he said, you know, he that, that young woman went into court and gave her perception of the evening. Now it was different to Olding's perception and different to obviously what the jury came to the verdict that the the lads were not guilty. Her perception was different, and you can respect her perception and still accept that it was a not guilty verdict it's not a case of I believe that they all went up onto the stand and told what they believed was the truth those men believed they had consent and she believed that they didn't and you not they don't have neither has to be lying you know you can have you can have so any of these real binary opinions online are really dangerous and a misunderstanding of the law I think what other people what people have lost as well here is that you don't a woman doesn't believe she's raped, put her hand up and then go to the judge the next day and a jury is convened and we're all in the middle of a trial. The PS&I in this case would have looked at the evidence, decided, is there a case to answer here? Sent it on, on to the Crown prosecutors. They have a rigorous test of, A, is there enough evidence here? Does, does the test of evidence cross a legal bar? They said yes in this case. And also they look at, are we likely to get a conviction? They have to also say yes in that case to bring it to the jury. At any time during uh, trial, the judge can also say this evidence isn't good enough. It's too dangerous to give to a jury and we're ending it. So this trial did go to the end and we did get a verdict from, from the jury. So anyone thinking that this was a malicious complaint is just wrong. So anyone tweeting that or thinking that like that, that is just not legally correct.
0: But also people tweeting... On the other side, their absolute refusal to accept the verdict, and I can't really read out the exact tweets yeah. because you're also v- wrong. You're verging yeah. into libelous territory yeah. there, but I think people know what I'm talking about here. And Twitter was a difficult place to be yesterday. Why can't people just ask the odd question? We had Neville Southall on the show recently, mm. and Neville Southall asks questions on Twitter. He, he he learns about transgender issues and various other issues. Almost nobody else does that. That's why that he seems to have gotten such popularity this could be a place where you actually have an informed debate but it's not there there seems to be just entrenched views on both sides and people make up their mind after day one of the trial in fact before day one of the trial and just get more and more entrenched
1: yeah. I think there's a lot of fear around this trial there's a lot of fear from a woman's point of view that we've all been in situations not, I, I won't say all but like a lot, a lot of women especially if you're sexually active and if you started that in your late teens early 20s we all recognise those parties we all recognise sports people we all recognise people we fancied but then didn't want to have sex with you know which guys that is a thing mm-hmm. we can fancy you and not want to have sex with you like so and so from a woman's point of view there's either recognition of a situation you have been in, and something has been done unto you, and then so th- that's fear and anger and upset. And then I think there's fear on a man's side that maybe he's done something wrong in the past, and he doesn't want to confront it, or will he do something wrong in the future, um, that he doesn't know that's wrong. So I think a lot of people's reactions are mixed up with fear I think.
0: In terms of solutions for this how do you get people talking in an adult way about sex and about relations between men and women?
1: Well I think you get them talking younger for, for mm. a point like I think you, you'll talk a bit later Richie about pornography. You know, we, 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 kids know what sex is and what it looks like at a very young age but they then see it from a completely different point of view. It's from a pornographic point of view a lot of the time so we need to start talking about having sex with your partner be it someone of the opposite sex or someone of the same sex and we need to talk about what that means and I think a lot of what this case has shown is that and, it, and i don't want to talk in derogatory terms about men in general but this is a, it, it, we're talking here because it's men have been talking about women in yeah, this yeah. way um that like ha, you, we have to talk about what it means to have sex with another person it's not something you do to somebody else and and also talk about enjoying sex and I, there was a column that really stuck with me um written a couple of years ago uh, from a a woman who didn't like the idea of consent classes because she thought it would you know take away the 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 enjoyment of sex that it would it, it would you know stop the moment or you know decrease the the passion mm-hmm. and one of the lines really stuck with me was like what what's he meant to do stop and ask is this okay and I was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> like do you know it can be it can be really nice and actually it can be quite successful if you're looking at from that terms for a man to go can I touch you here that can be sexy like mm-hmm. is this okay that can lead to some pretty good moments for both people like and that's what consent is. Asking, is this okay? Can I do this? Like, do you mind if I do this? And that can be brought into a sexual conversation and talked about in a human, adult, mature way without people giggling, without, you know, the whole moment being lost. And we do not teach our kids that. We don't teach ourselves that.
0: Well, we're starting to teach our kids that. Richie, you're trying to teach your kids Yeah,
3: that. Well, I run a, with Elaine Burns. She's a psychologist. She's done a lot of research in sexual behavior and, and consent. And we've been running a... a a module, a six-week module since February of last year in a uh, Arrow school in St. Benildis. And when we approached consent for the first time with the group we were working with way back in February, we said, today's about consent. And the whole class groaned. Like, okay, lads, you've groaned there. Well, like, what, what's behind that? Said, we get it. Like, don't rape anyone. No means no. And I said, okay, well, where, do you mind me asking, where, where does that come from? I said, well, we've had, you know, three classes in gender studies and uh, and that was the approach of that teacher at that time they approach consent from a crime reduction mm. angle now if you as she as the teacher was in that case a female speaking to an all-male audience of an issue like this implicit in the messages that you need to have to use the phrase one of them used we need to coach the, the the rapiness out of you so they were all defensive by nature straight away they' kind of, well Where's this coming from? So our approach is entirely different. The outcomes we're aiming at is the very same thing. But we do it from to enhance the experience for everyone. And it's exactly like you touched on. So, well, well, how do you know if consent exists? And we throw that to the class. And they'll start with a you no know means no thing. We say, well, we get that. But like, the, just because there isn't a no doesn't mean a yes is present. So they're like, well, well, well how do you know? So no matter what we say... We encourage them to question it because there are questions. This isn't a this isn't a yeah. straightforward. You either hear yes or hear no, and then you know it's one word. Once we
1: be taking the persuasion it's, out of it. Yeah. It's ongoing. It's
3: ongoing. It's 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 a mutual thing. So, we like the there's the words, and then facial expressions or, or or body language. And if you're unsure, if the room is dark, which in often cases it will be, you ask. Yeah. And if you're going to ask, but well, what words would be best? It it how's you know. You, you explore all of those things. And then so, the role of alcohol as well. So you're not talking
0: about s- strictly from a legal point of view. There have been a lot of legal definitions of what consent means. Mm. You're talking about more of a, an ethical understanding, I guess, of of, of what it means for a, a woman to give consent.
3: Yeah. Well Again, even that phrase, like the woman gives mm-hmm. consent, mm-hmm. It's, it's bi-directional, it's mutual, it's two people kind of teasing out, well, what am I comfortable with and can I communicate that with my partner and am I open to... Their communications. Am I, am I listening? Am I reading their signs? If I'm unsure, how can I be sure? And if I'm not sure, what am I going to do about being sure? Because in the lack of absolute certainty, you know, there's, there's grey areas. And then I said a moment ago, if both people, or if there's more than two people, and they're drunk, like in, informed consent cannot be given if you're too drunk to remember what you did. Um, that was an issue, one of the legal arguments that came up in the Chet Evans case a while ago, um, which I think was a wake up call to a lot of people thinking, hang on, if, if my partner's really drunk and a lot of people in this country and, and elsewhere are familiar with waking up in the morning and having patches of the previous night gone from the memory, mm-hmm. might be the whole night, 10 minutes, an hour here or there. And if one of the things that you did during that blackout was had penetrative sex with someone else and they can't remember either legally, you're in a very vulnerable right. position.
1: Mm-hmm. I think one of the things when you're talking there about the the mutual, it's a mutual decision, I think it would be ideal if eventually in society we could take away the idea that sex is something that men get and women give. But because mm-hmm. that's a huge, that's the start of a massive amount of the problems. Um, because then you're you're talking about persuasion and persuasion is a really dangerous game when you're talking about sex. So if young lads at 14 start to think that I have to persuade a girl to have sex with me and to do that I have to get her consent like of course we're heading down a dangerous road rather than you know oh when I'm you know whatever age I want to do it it would be nice to have sex with a girl <laughs> like who also wants to have sex with me like it, it just changes that, that dynamic a little bit and takes some of the danger out of it um, I think the idea of alcohol being involved you know that's a whole other mm-hmm. I think kind of worms but if we change how we think about sex, then how we think about sex with alcohol will also have altered.
0: Is, is that the central question in these classes? Is the consent at the middle of most of what you what you teach? Because I'm fascinated. You know, you wrote a piece in the Irish Times about this recently, about, about this sexual health uh, module. Is is it mostly about consent or is that a bit it, reductive? It,
3: it's not really. I think we, 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 we have six classes over the six weeks. So we cover contraception, consent and um, gender roles is a big thing. And, um, you know, what do we think? me as a male should behave like what behavior are we expecting from our partners if they're female simply because they're female and you tease out not only what the lads think but how that might influence their behavior in this area or their expectations. Porn is a massive thing. You Mm -hmm. cannot talk about um, like the emerging sexuality of adolescents if you don't address head on the the influence of online porn.
0: What is the influence because I I keep hearing porn being brought up but in quite a vague way over the last Mm -hmm. 24 hours porn is bad Kids, you are, you remember, kids are watching too I much like, of like
3: it. Personalize this. Do you remember the first time you ever saw porn, and in what in what form? I think, like honestly, it sounds so old school, but there was a magazine going yeah. around school. Can you remember, Sinead?
1: Uh, I have a vague memory of watching something on a telly, not in my house, or but it might have been you in a remember hotel. What age you were? I would have been old enough now. Um, I d- I wasn't young.
3: i what age were you? Well, secondary school, anyway. Okay. Yeah. I I, I have vague memories. You know, you might you'd be 13 or 14 yeah, and you hear that maybe some of your older brother's mates or some of the older lads, there'd be some video in somebody's house somewhere or there might be a magazine on a, on a football trip. We ask the lads now, when we discuss porn, I'll always ask the, a question, which I know what the answer is, but I ask it anyway. So, am I? Does anyone in the class not know what I'm talking about when I say porn? Has anyone in this class not seen porn? And no hands will go up. So I'll ask them all, and these are all transition-year students, so they're all kind of between 15 and 17 mm-hmm. over that 12 months. The general age that they all start watching porn for the first time is around 11 or 12. Because they all have phones and they all have unlimited 24-hour access to whatever porn they choose. Now, one of the things we do in the first class, and it's a kind of a nice breaking thing, we just get them in little groups with a big sheet of paper to write down all the different slang words for various sexual activities they are aware of. Now, if I'd asked you as a 15 or 16-year-old, or someone asked me, how many different sexual acts do you know? My list wouldn't have been that long. We, like, we need to get second sheets for these lads. And the terms they use, like my search engine on my phone, there'll be serious questions asked to me if anyone looked at it, because I deliberately bring in this phone, because there'll be terms that I've read. i read out some of them. Yep. Do you know what? Angry pirate, running train, pink sock, donkey punch, Cleveland steamroller. Anyone know what any of them are? No, I, I, Alabama, I, I, Alabama hot pocket.
0: I honestly think I've heard of one of the two of these right. terms, but I don't know what right. they actually. Mean. I, I I
3: don't. I when I hear them for the first time, I don't know what they mean, and so I deliberately bring the phone in, and and it's great fun. I've Urban Dictionary, and we get the you know the 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 explanation that it's you know when a man you know has a has a has a shit on a woman, and they proceed to have sex in certain ways, or all this kind of thing. And the lads are all looking at me going, and there's a lot of giggling, a lot of nervous energy in the room, and 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 it breaks the ice, so that they. Learn from myself and Elaine that really they're free to say whatever they want in the class so that's the purpose of that exercise and also it's informative for us to see well what's there, where are they coming at this it's from, what do they know and what do they not know they know all those things from porn they're not having conversations with their parents or their older siblings or their teachers about having a shit on a woman, they're learning that from porn so we really tease out then well what are you watching in porn and from a really non-judgmental perspective but what are you learning from what you're watching and they said well we said well what are the positives from watching porn and they said well you learn about sex yeah. and when they tease out their answers well, actually yeah when you think about it because no one else talks to them about it mm-hmm. so everything they think sex involves comes from the porn industry so you accept that that's the case and you either accept it and back away because we're all too awkward to intervene or else you do the fucking right thing and you intervene and you say okay well if you take on board these lessons and you apply them in real life when you become sexually active later, you're going to get arrested. You're, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to cause great distress for yourself, your families and your partners. Um, but because nobody tells them this, we're kind of setting them up for failure. It sounds like they're pretty open to talking about this. They're
0: great. They're absolutely brilliant. But, uh, but I say that because I don't know if, if you, the equivalent of you had walked into my transition year class, would I have been prepared to like I, we, we, it, it, we, it, it sounds great. It sounds like the kind of thing that, I, that, that, should, that should be there. Um, but I don't know, 15 years of age, talking about being open
3: about sexuality, you, you find they do open up? They, they, they're brilliant because we, 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 we tee up the module at the start and say so you, 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 to your own level of comfort, you engage in this module. If a debate comes up or a topic area and you don't want to contribute, just don't contribute. If I ask you a direct question, you're uncomfortable answering. Don't answer say I don't want to answer, say you don't know, blank me, do what you like. There's no expectation on anyone and we certainly won't be going into personal issues around disclosing your own experience or your own behaviour. So um, you're just really setting, creating an environment which doesn't exist anywhere else. for them. Mm. There's no other environment where it's really, where their development in this area is supported in a really non-judgmental, informative, safe way because we're all loaded with our own Hang ups and embarrassments and is, is a deviant even to have sexual desires as a 15 year old. If you act out on that, how you, you know, is this troublesome and all of those kind of things.
1: Yeah, I think adult society sometimes underestimates adolescents and their capacity to learn like that. that, that mm. They're in that phase of life where they're brilliant at it. Like that, yeah. That's when you're the best at learning yeah. and you're the best at, at actually being able to deal with what's happening around you and, and the idea like and there's so much conversation in this country at the moment about you know teenagers and their smartphones and their their capacity to have them and should they be banned and all of that but these are the people it's all part of them like that they are good at it like and we need to help them manoeuvre their way through it rather than ban them from doing certain things or judge them for knowing the those all those words mm. like it should be we should take it as okay you're, you're really knowledgeable about this stuff but tell me what you mean by it and then I'll tell you what we have learned about sex over over the years. And and
3: again if if again if they're watching the type of porn films where there is you know resistance from the woman initially mm-hmm. and then the man d- d- dominates them or overpowers them or convinces them or or whatever whatever the level of resistance is at the start often in porn films everyone's happy by the end. So if they take on board actually a resistant voice or a no, it's just part of the process. That's uh, not just porn films. To exactly. Be honest, that's like do, the, do you know the, the romance genre. Mm. I, I, watched, I watched. Movies and literature. It's, it's week, like this, this woo, aggressive wooing of the woman until eventually she submits to the charms. Last week, and this is a really low level example, but it, it, I could probably think of a thousand others if I bothered to spend 10 minutes remembering other films I've watched. Do you ever watch Prince of Tides? Film in the 90s, Nick Nolte's in it. Barbara Streisand's in it. Streisand plays a character of a psychiatrist and they're in some house party. And Nick Nolte says, Do you want to have a dance? She goes, No, no, I'm grand. And she says, it Quite assertively and firmly, No, no, I'm grand. She says, Come on, have a dance. He says, No, honestly, I'm grand. Her face was blank. There was no sign that she was. He grabs her by the hand, pulls her into the dance floor. So her nose were ignored there. And then the scene plays out and she's loving it. They go downstairs to the street. He goes, Share a cab with me. She goes, No, honestly, I'm going home. Share a cab with me, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no I'm going home. Grabs her by the hand, puts it in the cab. And then shoot us amount mm-hmm. of scenes later they're smiling, kissing, having sex and everyone's happy. So it's it's those messages constantly that which is really dangerous if you're a young man a taking on board that no's need to be ignored. Mm. Um, but also if you're a young girl thinking I, I need to say no at some point even though yeah. I want it. Like that's f- no one wins in a scenario like that. It's an interesting point. We, we haven't really talked about women
0: or I was, girls. Yet. I was just
1: about to ask Richie, like, it's absolutely brilliant that these initiatives are happening in boys' schools, but what are we telling our girls? I've literally never heard of any initiative anywhere of who's telling our girls at 14, 15 what to do When they start thinking about sex because we start thinking about sex Mm -hmm. and from everything that's around us and everything that we're told and we're still, as we were talking at the start, a bit hypocritical about this, like we're told, you know, you're meant to say no. And at this stage, everyone's a virgin and that's meant to be you know held onto as some prize to give a man when he's worthy like you know you, you shouldn't give it up until it's someone who loves you or someone who'll be good to you or someone who'll stick around um so we're putting all this effort and judgment onto the man in this situation and not thinking about what the girl wants needs or like has learned
3: i was at a seminar actually last year down in killarney um I think the Irish National Youth Council put it on or something, and it was around t- sex and porn and young people. And there were some people there who did similar work to what myself and Elaine do in, in, in Benilda down in the Munster area, and they worked with uh, boys and girls, mi- mixed schools. And they said a lot of the challenges and the questions and the, the opinions from the lads matched our experience since. But with the girls' the challenges they faced, again, they're heavily influenced by porn. Mm. And are they looking at porn thinking, that's how I should sound in sex. That's what I should do. Is is my role as a woman in sex to satisfy the man to get to the point where, you know, he climaxes because it would appear that that's my job as a woman. And then they have this challenge as well between you don't want to be seen as frigid, but you don't want to be seen as easy. And you want to give the impression that you're competent in this area. Maybe expertise is too strong a word, but you're not that available because if you're seen as available, you'll have a name. There's all these really loaded. Yeah,
1: And there's a practical, actually, example of something that highlights, the, I think, the role of porn and the role of what man wants is, is most important. When I was young, um waxing your vagina was not a thing like you would have pubic hair and that was the norm mm-hmm. then when i hit college it became the norm that you had to be completely shaven you had to it was either a hollywood or brazilian anything other than that you would discuss the man you were with so like there's loads of practical implications of that it's sore like it's annoying it's expensive it it's not the way everyone wants to look and, but it was a thing that everybody did. Now, I, uh, like as you get older, you decide mm. yourself like what you like. And I think people kind of get have their own ideas. But for that period of time, when you're in college, when you're in your early 20s, I think everybody I knew spent 60 or a month going and making sure that they were clean shaven for the men who may or may not be in their lives. And that was because that became the way that men were told. I don't even know if men liked it. Men were told that that's what they were they were to like because that's how women appeared in porn from the
0: woman's women's point of view then how much of it is guided how much of of women's thoughts are guided by other by their peer group like that sounds like a peer pressure pretty much
1: yeah I think is, is that
0: the right way to describe it
1: like and I, i've thought about this a lot because I, there was one book i read about it that um discussed how it how it became the norm and it just became per, pervasive it was um the the places that were offering it, it was the porn that you saw, it was the men that you were with liked it when it was done. Um your friends did it, so you thought it was normal to do it. So it was a whole mixture of things. Um but it was afterwards I thought, God, I don't think men actually like it. And actually one one man told me he didn't like it, and I was like, That's great. <laughs> that is awesome. So like I, I think there was something. So I used to organise the teenage disco at home for, yeah. for my sins when I was uh, in college. And it was around the time, remember Britney Spears and Madonna had that kiss um, mm-hmm. on the MTV. So that that was the thing at the time. Men got turned on if they saw two women kiss. And that was probably the first time that it became like really big and normal, like it was on the telly or whatever. And... I one of the discos that we were supervising just shortly after that two of the girls were kissing and I had to be really careful because two of the girls could have been kissing because they wanted to kiss each other but there was a big circle had come around them and the lads were all watching and cheering and you know pretending to enjoy it or enjoying it I'm not sure which Mm. and afterwards I just had a chat with the two girls being like hey like you know what was the story there and they were like oh the lads asked us to do it and we did it or whatever and you're like okay you know you don't have to and afterwards I was thinking I'm not sure the lads even know why they like that or if they like it or if they just saw two famous women doing it were told by society that they should enjoy it they should get aroused by it and then went along with it like I'm not sure where their natural instincts were because they were all caught up and lost in in a a story that was happening across the water
0: Is it a bit naive of me Sinead to not be aware that porn informs women's thoughts on sex as much as men's. I'm not saying I didn't realize that women watch porn, but you've both kind of said that it's a big deal in how women think about sex.
1: I think um, that women probably do the same thing as men and learn like uh, I can learn about sex from porn. And I think that's probably. I think everyone's arousals are different, and so some people will watch it for that. Some people won't. Um, but I think everyone. A lot of a lot of what porn is watched would be to learn about sex. I think
3: we asked that to the lads. What What are the positives with sex? We learn about sex. Okay, about, what do you, about porn? Yeah, uh, what are positive about porn? And and I say, okay, well, what do you learn? And some said, well, you know, we learn what goes where. Mm. So okay, what else? Well. The, the various ways you can do it, the positions and stuff. So okay, well, yeah, that's true. And again, remember, no one else is talking to them about it. So there's this big gap, which which they're looking to porn to fill. And then we say, okay, well, if it's your only teacher, what do you think you're not learning? Let's say a module like this didn't happen, and porn is all you're getting in terms of influences about sex. They say, well, I suppose there's not really that much chat about contraception. You don't really see that being discussed. You don't really see consent being negotiated or discussed openly and all those kind of things um, but they're all watching it and, and, and they're watching it at, at you know, huge levels and we again we don't sit there and go you shouldn't be watching it
1: no cause like it's
3: again it's it's there I don't have that approach at all but it's well if you're watching it and if you're learning from it what are you learning and maybe what are you not learning and if you're learning certain things and you take them on board as fact um, so that you know your, your penis has got to be this size because they all are on yeah. porn and and a woman, in order to enjoy sex, is going to sound a certain way and say certain things. And because you see certain lads behave in a certain way towards women, and and she responding in a certain ways. That that's that's what you're aiming for here. Do and you I talk
1: d- about orgasms? Just cut across you there, sorry. In what in sense? in the in the class do you do you talk about like how orgasms work in sex or that you know they're that, that they're a thing? I think because that's when I'm talking when you're asking me about being like as a girl learning about sex. I don't think I ever was told what an orgasm was like. Certainly not how to get one, but like <laughs> mm-hmm. I, that, that just never came into any language that was used around. Okay,
3: so so we asked him again because some will say like the the purpose of sex is for you to come, you being the man, mm. and and that that's it done correctly, and then Elaine will deliberately go, well, what about the woman? And some of them will look blankly, and others will go, well, it's she's you know, it's she's there for like equally as entitled to to. To, to look for pleasure in it and she's there for the same reasons and they don't have any judgments or any gender-related hang-ups on the woman and all. And it's a really, you get a spread of views. Like you asked earlier, I think, what, what, are, the, what are the attitudes? We did we a discussion the other day on our men who, who have a lot of sex players and our girls who have a lot of sex sluts. And I think in a breakdown of 22 lads, Four lads went to the side of the room and said they absolutely agreed and they were entrenched in their position. If you have sex a lot of times as a lad, it's because you're a great lad. If you do it as a girl, it's because you're, you know, you're, you're, and all the, all the words came out. But a load of lads, there was about four or five in the middle and then the remainder were on the right. And, the, but the ones in the middle, or the ones on the right were kind of going, well, there's, there's no difference. They were absolutely coming at this from a position of like equality, behaviors and, and attitudes and, um, like wanting sex and desiring sex equal men and women exact same it's great work that you're doing richie mm. have you encountered much opposition to it um no all the staff are delighted that we're doing it and they're not mm. all the parents we um sent a letter to them all at the start which was an opt-out letter you you sign it and send it back if you're opting out as opposed to signing it and sending back if you want to get them involved no one signed that at all um, and it, f- with the feedback we got initially was it facilitated conversations at home that just wouldn't have happened if the module didn't take place. And we heard that back from parents. So our aim with it, as much as covering certain topics, it's to begin conversations that will continue long after we're gone. So it's not basically between me and the lads or Elaine and the lads. It's myself and Elaine are in the room bringing up topics. And we're really trying to facilitate and provoke discussion from student to student so that it becomes normal ask these questions and to give opinions and to debate and to tease out, well I I think A, you think B, well let's, you know, let's discuss this. Well it's good to
0: hear that the the parents support it and that the teachers support it but I don't know, would be surprised if everybody supported it in a country that's still predominantly Catholic or has a, has such a religious kind of an ethos, have you come across any uh, opposition in that sense?
3: Well we, I, I wrote about it one week in the Irish Times and one, um, The school did get one call from a person who identified himself as being part of the Archbishop's office. He was ringing on behalf of an unnamed parent of a student in the school who felt uncomfortable that the Catholic ethos of the school wasn't being respected. And that person contacted the school and the school said, listen, we don't respond to anonymous complaints. We have an open policy here. If you want to say something, come in, have a meet with us. And then the the, the member staff said to the person, said, actually, have you read the column? He said, no. An hour later, that person rang back with a fairly strongly worded voicemail saying, listen, we've got an issue with it. The Catholic ethos of the school is being compromised. We'll be back in touch. They didn't get back in touch and it went nowhere. But there was a flurry of activity within the school thinking, OK, are we going to come under pressure here to modify what we're teaching, to change it, or do we need to drop it? And, And we didn't. The school have completely supported it. But their objections honed in on two areas. We were discussing all sexualities as being equal. So... That was at odds with what some people describe as, you know, a Catholic ethos. And we were promoting the use of contraception as really, really worthwhile and essential. And I'll hear all the reasons why. Again, that goes against the Catholic ethos. So when you're talking about the area of supporting the development of young people, particularly when it comes to their sexual development and sexual health and their emerging sexuality. In my view, it's best to keep religion and religious ideology the hell out of the room. Because I had an example one day where I asked lads about their attitudes. We were discussing sexuality and we posed this hypothetical scenario where person A tells person B that they're gay. And we were teasing out, you know, how that might be experienced by both people. And then I brought it into the room and said, matter of interest, has anyone had this real life experience? Has anyone had a conversation with someone else where they've told them that they're gay? Four hands went up. And these are lads who are 16 or 17. And I said, matter of interest, what was that like for you? I checked, first of all, whether it was the same person that said it all for, and they didn't think it was. And the first fella said, a little bit awkward, didn't really know what to say, but, like, didn't change the friendship. The other two lads, completely indifferent, but the fourth fella got a bit riled with me for even asking the question, because implicit in the question was that there should have been some kind of response, and he thought that the question itself kind of said, well, are you expecting a reaction? Am I meant to be, you know, judgmental or awkward? Like... Homosexuality, sexuality is totally normal. It's totally valid. It's the same as everyone else. So he, he, he got a bit riled, and I was sitting there going, "Well, if I was to respect a Catholic ethos, or the ethos of any religion which has a, a as a dismissive view towards homosexuality, am I meant to then, as an educator, intervene with the lads and like, hang on, lads? Are we serious about being Catholics or not? Do you know what I mean? That was your opportunity there to be." pass remarkable or judgmental or non-supportive on the person who just told you they're gay. Is that is that what we want to tell young people? So let's keep religion out of this. Well
0: this is a key point. I mean there are, we're talking about wanting to talk more about this. Uh, aside from a sort of dormant idea, a, a, apart from maybe a laissez-faire attitude, there could be people in the country just don't want to talk about this actively don't don't want this kind of thing discussed
1: yeah and we have so many like you know 90% of our schools are Catholic uh, run at the moment so that that's a huge part of trying to get into because I think a lot of this stuff it's so ad hoc at the moment you'll have some people like the guys in that school are getting brilliant sex education um, you know and you'll have other people and it's not just an urban rural thing it can just be completely by lottery of who your teachers are who your school principal is is a huge important thing mm-hmm. if they, if they'll dismiss the Catholic Gitas thing because they know this is more important Um, so it all runs into we need a kind of a much more stronger strategy so that the whole country is covered and no matter what the ethos of your school is no matter where in the country you are and no matter what your parents believe because a lot of the time you can't leave this up to parents because they won't be equipped to do it.
3: All right. in, 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 in any topic or subject that you take seriously in education you don't leave it up to the level of comfort of the teacher involved you have a, you have a strategy you have a curriculum and you have bases that need to be covered um, for all students in all schools we don't have that in sex education and until we do you know, we're, we're letting down young people
0: brilliant well it's been really illuminating today Richie, Sinead excellent stuff thanks a million
3: cheers out
2: That might be, you know, aiming for utopia, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. It's
0: Stuttgart, it's New Jersey. Richard. God. how are we feeling this morning?
3: I just watched the goal set to the Titanic music and it really works, God, it really, really works. I think this is the most fun we're ever going to have in the podcast.
2: Let me tell you, you're only getting this because you're a former player of mine and <laughs> there's no fourth time looking, let me tell you.
0: My father thought that, you know, I was a disgrace and embarrassment, didn't allow me to come back home. And this is a 17 years old and we just made the semi-finals at Wimbledon.
2: Fraser and Ali in another incarnation when they were both young and I guess I was too. <laughs>
0: Reverend Jesse Jackson, you're very welcome to the show.
2: For the few people resist
1: publicly, he uh, cast a light to lit up our pathway.
3: 30 million watched the fight. What? Yes, that's true. Um, I was better known in Africa than I was in it's Ireland. It's
0: unbelievable. He threw a hard trial, I think at David Beckham uh, in the, is that right? No. So I just this weird thing where I was always the same weight as my age. Holy shit, Kevin Murphy! It's US Esmer. Round of applause
3: for you, yeah. Esmer. That's him. Key-ho's, right upstairs at Kios. Kills everyone, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> oh, oh my oh, words! Oh, tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. but Talk us through it. Oh, just saying,
2: Sigfuson is the old. <laughs> 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 Oh, my God. Is
0: it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of
3: course not. He was about 12. (laughs) Everyone in
0: the city knew about it, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened?
2: It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
0: I really do wish that somebody like Richie had walked into my classroom when I was 15. It might have made things a little bit easier there. I mean, I was like, as I said to Richie, I don't know how prepared I would have been to talk about that kind of stuff, mm. but I was certainly a million miles away from understanding myself sexually at that age. I'm sure I got some sort of rudimentary sexual education in school. I don't actually remember it. People sometimes seem to remember some book being thrown out there or something. I can't actually remember exactly what it was. Mm. Uh, it's certainly not, not adequate uh, in, in comparison to the kind of stuff that Richie is talking about there and the kind of conversations that need to be had and that thankfully he's having with yeah. young lads. My junior science teacher was a priest in an old boys' school. So suffice to say, there were certainly some holes in my... Uh, sexual education knowledge. All right, tomorrow's podcast, the Champions Cup preview, uh, will take place with Shane Horgan and Barry Murphy, ex-Monster Centre, now lead singer with Hermitage Green and all-round great guy. And we're going to assess the state of the heavyweight boxing division ahead of Joshua Parker this weekend with a man nicknamed the Colonel. That's all you need to know. His nickname is the Colonel. Mm -hmm. Although Uh, we might tell you a little bit more about him. He has commentated on more than 1,000 world title fights. Yes, Bob Sheridan is the man. Bob Sheridan, yeah. Yeah, as well as commentating on the Rumble in the Jungle and... Many, many, many title fights. The man was also at one time a farmer in County Clare who used to wander off, said farm to go and commentate on these huge fights, then return back to the west coast of Ireland with his neighbours none the wiser as to what he actually did for a cross. This is a real story. This not a fictional character. Yes, Colonel Bob Sheridan. <laughs> will be on the, show to tomorrow. Him on the show tomorrow as well as our championship preview. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks all. Thanks, for, it. for listening. What
2: is that? That's the second time it's gone off never go home they never go home they never go home those those, those stuff the second captain's world service
1: even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to
3: scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus